0: Okay, first half of that book that we've been reading, Boundaries, was talking about defining boundaries, then it went into talking about potential problems, different types of personality types, and then we talked about the laws of boundaries, now we're going to start looking at specific examples, and today's lesson was on Boundaries and Your Family, Boundaries and Your Family. We're going to start and split this into two sections. The first one is signs of a lack of boundaries. The second part of the session will be resolution of boundary problems with families. So we're just going to do like we've done in the past, point by point, some potential boundary issues or signs of lack of boundaries in families. Something to realize when you're looking at family of origin, family systems, is that often children grow up feeling like they don't own their own life because many of their boundaries are still their parents' boundaries. And what happens is there's supposed to be a natural progression. When you look at the stages of development, when they hit that young adult phase, they should be starting to establish their own boundaries. I no longer do this just because mom and dad said I shouldn't do it or should do it. I should be doing it because I understand why it's important that I not do that. And that takes some time. It's longer for others, some than others, so... But what happens is sometimes we hang on to quite a few boundaries until we meet that special someone and all of a sudden we have these clashes of, well, that might be your boundary, but it's not mine. And if we don't make the adjustment to where it becomes our boundary in that new system, there's going to be problems. Most of us, if we go back and look at when we first got married... And that the differences we saw in each other's families, there was this thing of, your family's weird. No, it's your family that's weird. You go back and forth of, well, in your family, they do this. Well, in your family, they do this. And it goes back and forth. And finally, you come to this compromise where you understand, okay, let's agree. There's weirdness in both of our families, okay? We understand that. So let's look at what we want to do. Let's look at what our family's going to do. If children don't develop their own boundaries before they are married... Their family of origin boundaries will affect their marriage with a trickle-down effect, resulting often in relationship problems. What do I mean by that? If I don't learn to develop my boundaries so that they are mine, there will be a tendency for me when I get married to say, well, that's not the way we did it. And that's going to cause friction in the home because it's more or less saying that my family's way of doing it is better than yours. They need to come to a point where they know this is why not because we've always done it this way, but because this is the reason behind why I think we should do it this way. Not because my family does it, but because this is this is what we're looking for in our kids, our marriage, our finances, whatever it would be. But if it's still, well, mom and dad always said to do this, That I don't know about you, but when I would say my family never did that, that right away was like this, <laughs> because you're saying the family unit is it. You're not that family unit anymore. When you get married, you are your own unit. And you need to understand why you're doing what you're doing, not because mom or dad said, but because you understand, or the Bible specifically says. So you've got to be careful of saying that this is the way it should be done because our family does it. That's just going to create issues. You need to understand specifically why you're doing it, not why mom or dad did it. That can enter the picture, but it needs to be, I believe in order to reduce the amount of friction that's going to happen, if you don't find, if you don't phrase it that way. Let's look at Genesis. Genesis 2.24. For this reason a man will leave his father and a mother, and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's another verse that talks about leave and cleave, but we're going to talk specifically about leave. The husband and wife must loosen. When they say leave his family... The husband and wife must loosen the ties with their family and forge their own boundary as a new family unit. That's what that verse is saying. It's not saying, okay, honey, you're married to me. We're going to go across the country away from your family. That's not what it's saying. We tend to take it literal. I mean, there's truth in that. You are our unit wherever God's calling you. But a lot of people will say, well, you're coming with me because the Bible says you're to leave your family. Or sometimes it's turned around. The wife will say, it says the husbands to lead. (laughs) So you get all these different interpretations. But what it really means is loosen the boundaries with your family of origins and start your own unit. That's really what it's meaning. You need to be who you are in the Lord together. Regardless of mom, dad, grandparents. It doesn't matter. Who are you in the Lord? Often parents continue to bail out their children's to bail their children out of financial problems after they leave home, which is actually, in the long run, if we continue to do that for a prolonged period of time, we're actually crippling our children if we do that for them all the time. We're preventing them from achieving independence. The book goes into a lot more detail on this, but the main point being is there comes a point where the children, as part of their development, are learning financial responsibility, They're learning what's safe behavior, what's unsafe behavior, what's wise investments, what's not wise investment. And if I continue to always pay for something that was a bad decision, there's a tendency on me then to continue to bail them out. That's not going to be healthy. Because you're not always going to be there and be able to do that. They need to learn to financially put money together, set aside, and plan for a future. We don't have enough of that training in the world today. Not in the schools. It's just not there. A lot of kids are finding out when they get out. You know, hey, look at all this stuff I can buy, and they start spending the money. But then they find themselves really tied into credit cards, really tied into things, and they're trying to figure out how am I going to do this? They need to learn financial responsibility. It's not being taught, and sometimes it's not being taught by the parents actually. You know, my wife was the one in our family. She'd say, "Okay, you're doing the checkbook this month." <laughs> I said, they are. <laughs> She met with each one of them and said, okay, I want you to see how we budget the money. We're not going to spend more than we have. This is how we do it. And then they each got their own credit card, their first card, and we looked at it said, okay, by the end of the month, you need to make sure you're paying it off. You don't want debt. We need to do that as parents for our children so that they know when they get their own home, they need to stay within a budget. If we continue to always financially take care of them, we're not preparing them to be independent they're not learning that last stage of independence the book refers to it as the perpetual child syndrome a person may financially be on their own but relies on his or her family of origin to perform certain life management functions and that's where he went a little bit further in the book talking about perpetual child syndrome meaning that we haven't broken the ties we haven't we haven't helped them to be independent they're still hanging on and it's going to create problems in the home because with their need for me to be involved, there's strings to that. So you start getting back to what we talked about earlier where it says loosen the, the boundaries, loosen your grip with your family, become a family unit. If I still rely on your family or you still rely on my family to bail us out, we're not our own unit yet. And that's not where we need to be when you know, within the Lord within the, you know, the laws of uh, boundaries that we talked about earlier. Another term that was used was enmeshed families. Now, sometimes these families actually look healthy and they look good, but there's a problem. Enmeshed families are families that are extremely close, loving and friendly, but to the point that the spouses of the family members feel like the outsiders, I see more of this than I I think I've seen in a long time over the past, I would say, ten years. And what happens is boundaries get damaged. For instance, young couples get married and they live with one parent or the other. The family is really close. But what happens is the person who's marrying into the family doesn't know what their boundaries are in the family of origin house. So it starts to create friction and tension, and that's unnecessary tension for a new, for a new couple. They really shouldn't have to deal with that prolongedly. I understand that in our day and age with finances and mortgages, it's tough to have your own home when you get married. But there comes a point in time where you should be working towards, we're not living with mom and dad. We're not living with my brother or my sister. And I've had the, the, the best well-meaning people say, well, we let them come back because it's better financially. It wasn't six months until there was friction. And she was like, you're right. I shouldn't have let them move back in. They need their own independence. They need their own boundaries. In the home, my mother used to say, two women can't live under the same roof. Have you heard that before? Because the matriarch wants to be able to do what she wants with her own things. And if you've got two matriarchs, then it comes to the clash of whose way? What's that? Oh, I don't want to hear that one. <laughs> Three matriarchs. <laughs> yeah, that can be tough. So he talks about Emesh families are families that are extremely close, but to the point that the spouses don't feel like they fit. I'm not really just married to my wife. I'm married to her family or vice versa. And that can become a lot of problems. Again, we're talking about boundary problems and families. Triangulation is another term that's often used when you're dealing with family problems. Triangulation is the failure to resolve conflict between two people so a third person is recruited by one of the parties to take side to resolve the issue. Now, I came from a family of 12, so I can tell you all about all these things right now because they all started out in home and there was always friction. Friction. And there always came a point where it was decided, you know, we're not, this is not healthy. You know, they did it because they had to. They didn't have the finances. But every one of my older siblings got married, lived in the married room is what we call it. <laughs> the married room. But they all, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. The married rooms are like, oh, go in there. <laughs> but um, there was a lot of friction. Triangula- triangulation, though, is when, uh, and this is just a natural thing of the, of the human nature. Mom, he doesn't understand me. So, mom gets involved. Well, then the husband goes to his dad and says, I don't know how you put up with mom. Was she like this? So, you're starting to recruit somebody to take your side, and the next thing you know, out here somewhere along the line, they start talking. So, you can start to see the conflict there. The Bible's pretty specific when it says you need to deal with conflict directly and truthfully. And that's our next slide. The scriptures are very serious about dealing with conflict directly and truthfully with one another. Don't recruit somebody. I mean, even as a counselor and working with with marriages and families, sometimes they'll want me to address the problem for them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Somewhere along the line you need to learn to talk to each other. Don't go to a third person and have that person come in and say, you're, what you're doing is not right. Well, that's ganging up, and that's only going to cause resentment and hurt. It needs to be something that's addressed directly back and forth. Let's look at some scriptures. Proverbs 28:23 says, He who rebukes a man will, in the end, gain more favor than he, ha- than he who has a flattering tongue. In other words, be truthful. Just don't say, oh, it's okay. When it's not okay. <laughs> but you're being to the face. You're, you're sugarcoating it. It's okay. We, you know, we can move on. What's happening and that happens then is I'm harboring a little bit there, even though I'm telling you. I'm not being truthful. I'm telling you everything's okay, but underneath, I'm hurt. I need to let you know. If you, if you were wrong to me, I need to say, yeah, that did hurt. And let the person have the ability to say, we forgive me? And then you need to say, I forgive you. Whether it's in the marriage, whether it's with your parents or whether it's with your kids. Matthew 18:15 says, "If your brother sins against you and go and show him his fault just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over." You know there's emphasis on being direct and truthful with one another. but I want to put another spin on it. You need to go up against what doesn't feel comfortable. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. But in the end, that pain is nothing compared to if I find out later on you've been talking about me. I would rather deal with the issue right now, go through the uncomfortableness of the confrontation, and just find a way to... And always think about how would I want somebody to approach me when I'm wrong? That's how I need to approach that person. I need to approach them in the way that I would want to be approached. So don't go shoot them out of the saddle. You're going to go to them and say, you know, remember this situation... It was very hurtful. I don't know if you realize that or not. And then approach it in that manner. Making sure that you allow them the opportunity to say, even if it's, I didn't mean it that way, that's still a response. Then I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. And follow through. Often we have not taught our kids how to argue and make up appropriately. My wife and I started to realize that when the kids get into their teen years. In some of the conflict that was going on, was like, wait a minute, we need to teach them how to fight. <laughs> They're getting downright dirty. <laughs> They're really mean. You know that that term "fight" was loosely. I didn't mean fist fight. It'd be like, you did this to me, back and forth. We're and like, whoa, 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 what happened here? <laughs> Let's back up. Good boundaries prevent resentment. Good boundaries prevent resentment we need to make sure our giving to other is not enabling irresponsibility such as codependency or dependency issues in any aspect of resolving conflict in a, in, a, in a family we need to make sure that the parties are taking responsibility for their part in whatever it is whether it's the actual asking forgiveness or the actual process of forgiving we need to oversee that in our children especially, but also demonstrate it between us, to, between our spouses and our parents as we walk and talk. They need to see it. They're gonna, kids are going to parrot what they see, not what you say. I can tell you that right now. Because I've seen some pretty ugly situations where the teenager come right out and said, he talks a good talk, but that's not how he treats us. I mean, that was a son saying that about his father and his mother. They talk a good talk. But that's not how they treat us. So they see more than what they hear. That's important to realize. Most boundary problems are not, are rooted in family of origins. And it's pretty simple. Our sin nature. It comes all the way from Adam and Eve. It's just one of those things that... People will say, you got a temper like your dad. I probably do. I grew up with him. (laughs) I just need to learn how to process it and deal with it. I need to break the cycle. If that's a track record of my dad had hurt a lot of people, then I need to make sure I'm breaking that cycle and being responsible to God and how I actually address it. Most boundaries are rooted in family of origins, their sin nature, and are the result of not being taught the laws of boundaries found in the Scriptures. We talked about the ten laws of boundaries earlier a couple chapters ago. One of the things that we realized in that is that most of the time, I don't think there's a diligent, intentional teaching of boundaries, whether it's in our churches or whether it's in our schools or whether it's in our homes. We need to make sure, if we want a healthy family and we want to break the cycle, that we're teaching what the scriptures say about boundaries. Proverbs is loaded with all kinds of, if you do this, and we had an example of a verse earlier. If you actually deal with the issue straight on, you have won your brother. That's one of the laws of boundaries. We must all come out from under the parental authority that we were born into and put ourselves under God's authority. If you go back and look at the points we made, it really can be summed up in this one. As a child grows, it's important to teach them that ultimately they answer to God. They answer to God. Mom and dad will pass away. You're going to answer to God and one day stand before him yourself. Ultimately, you need to transition from doing it because mom or dad says, but because God is instructing you in your personal walk with him. Galatians 4, 1-4. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What he's saying is, we all need to realize that until our child accepts Christ they're still enslaved to their human nature just the same as we are but when they accept Christ part of the responsibility we have is them away from my authority and often what I would say I would just use a verse I'd take them to the verse where it comes from this is why we do this helping them to see this is why you're going to do it not because I said so but because the scriptures say so and get them linked to what the Bible says about the, about the boundaries and about relationships Matthew and do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven ultimately our father if we are believers is God on, in heaven ultimately he is our father Often boundary problems stem from not obeying the word of God because we have not spiritually left home. There's a lot of truth in that statement. If I'm still relying on dad and mom for all my direction, dad and mom for my financial and my physical needs, if I'm still relying relying on them, I haven't learned to trust in God yet, to trust him for my needs, to trust him for my peace, to trust him for my... Spouse and my family's safety. When we become part of God's family, obeying his way will sometimes cause conflict in our family and sometimes separate us. Jesus said spiritual ties are the most important. I was trying to find it this morning and I couldn't find it, but I believe it's in John where it talks about if you love your father, mother, brother, child life more than you love me, then you're not worthy of the kingdom. It's very clear that God is saying, I take top priority. Spiritual ties are the most important. And sometimes, as God is instructing you, it may not be what your parents think is best. But you're still going to have to do what he's telling you to do. My first experience of that was when I applied to Liberty And I got accepted and told Dad I was going away to school. (laughs) He's like, I can't help you. Made that real clear right away. I can't help you. I don't know why you think you have to go to school. You You need to learn to work on equipment and plant and plow, everything he had known. He was scared for me because he didn't know where I was going. He had not been there. He was not receptive. And I said, well, I really feel like that's where the Lord wants me. And he made it very clear, okay, when you use all your savings, I had a minimum wage job, saved it all up, had enough to pay for one year. I said, I'm going to go at least one year. If I'm so supposed to be there, the Lord will open doors. And I did have my mother backing me on this, but he was not happy about it. So I went to Liberty. He would not take me down. He would. I had to go, my brother and my sister took me down. Now, did that ever change? Yeah. Because after that one year when I was able to to, uh, audition for and get accepted onto the singing teams and those singing teams gave me scholarships, I was providing my own way through. When I left college, I had no debt. I think that kind of startled him. He really thought he was going to have to bail me out because that had happened with a couple of the other ones. And I said, but Dad, God's in this. And by the time we had made up, he and I got over our conflict and our, our, our problems with each other he was actually telling everybody else how proud he was that I did what I did. That was not what he was saying on the front end. I was going against the grain. I was definitely going against the grain. But after one year at Liberty and then one year on the road, when I came home, I heard statements from people in our church and I heard people in my family saying, you're a lot different. I didn't help take that at first. But what they were saying was, I wasn't that person I was before I left, God was already changing me. And they were already starting to talk about, when you come home, do you think you're going to do this with the church? This is number 10 in the family now. They're talking about being involved in leadership in the church. I was like, well, we'll see what the Lord leads. So that's an example of sometimes you have to go against a parent because the Lord's telling you to do it. Not because you want it. Because there wasn't another option for me in that, at that point in time. I knew the Lord wanted me to use singing. I knew he wanted me to go to a school. And that was the one, because they did offer scholarships, and my mother and my sister had seen it. If you come to Liberty and you get on one of these singing teams, they'll pay your way through school. And That caught my mom's ear right away. You can sing. Get down there. <laughs> and that's the way it did work out. I mean, Later on, I got involved in leadership there, and then also provided scholarships. But if the Lord's in it, he's going to provide a way. It's just up to us trusting him. And it might mean that, in that case I was sharing, I had to go against my dad at that time. I think there are times in marriages that you have to go against your parents because we tend to want to be overprotective. We tend to want to steer you away from what we think is going to be problems. But you need to realize that if God's telling that new couple, that new family unit, Through each other's relationship with the Lord. If he's saying, this is what I want you to do, we need to support that as parents. It's not always easy. i got a daughter living in Maryland. I'm not crazy about that, but I do know they have very good jobs and the Lord's taking care of them. I need to see what the next step's going to be. And allow the control to be in his hands, not my hands. When we become part of God's family, obeying his way will sometimes cause conflict in our family and separate us. I think I just read that one. But the point being that if it does cause separation, the one thing that I would like to get across about my dad and I is eventually it led to our reconciliation. Because the Lord got me in a position where I could grow spiritually to the point where I knew how to approach my dad and work through the issues. I think we're on Matthew ten, thirty five to thirty seven. For I have come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a man's enemy will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew twelve, forty six to fifty. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my sister and my brother. Think about that for a minute. In essence, he's saying our relationships here are more important than our physical family relationships. Now, fortunately, some of you have your fam- physical family here. That's great. But he's actually saying the most important thing is spiritual relationships that are connected to me. Some questions to ask Do these ties keep us from doing the right things? In any situation? Do my family relations, does my relationship with uh, extended family, does it keep me from doing the right thing? Another question. Have we really become adults in relationships to our family of origin? Have we stepped off and underneath mom and dad's authority and over under God's authority? If the parents are believers, I think it should be a transition. You just go right over. Because if mom and dad is pointing them to the Lord, when they're old enough, they're just going to start praying about it and go into the Scriptures. And what will happen then is they'll come back to mom and dad and say, this is what I've been praying about. This is what I think the Lord wants me to do. That's always a sign that they're stepping over to God's authority. That's always a sign. So let's talk a little bit about some resolutions. Identifying problems, boundary problems with family of origins is a tough task, but it is one of great rewards. What are they saying? Take the time to look at where it is that you struggle. Make sure that it's not because of something you learned before you understood your relationship with Christ. Don't do it just because that's what you saw in school with other kids. Don't do it just because that's all mom and dad always do Make sure that your boundaries have their connection with the Lord. The most basic question we need to be asking is this. Where have I lost control of my property? Remember we talked about boundaries. The purpose is to protect what's in my backyard. The gates are to remove bad and allow good in. But ultimately, I need to look at what has the Lord endowed me with? What has he given me? You know, if I were to apply that to myself, he has given me a home, he has given me a job, he has given me my children and my wife, and my job is to protect what's in those boundaries at any cost. And when any relationship that my kids had started to pull them out into danger, there was a meeting, and we talked about it. And sometimes as the kids got older, they didn't agree and sometimes they'd say oh you're just being biased you don't like him because of this or that I said no I don't like him because of the way he treats you and I don't think it's safe and in each one of those situations it did come back around the dad was right but she had to find that out for herself they had to find that out for themselves the next question that should be asked is what laws of boundaries are being violated when we go back and talk about the laws of boundaries, you know, the law of evaluation, am I evaluating what I'm saying to my co-workers, to the people in the church, the people in my family, am I evaluating the effect it's having on them? Is it pointing them to the Lord? Are they seeing Christ in me? Or are they seeing my selfish side? I need to be applying the boundaries that we've talked about that are found in the scriptures. Do I triangulate Am I passive and reactive towards others in the conflict? Do I take responsibility for my property or others' properties? Am I overstepping my boundaries and actually getting involved in somebody else's yard where I shouldn't be? I need to ask this question. Is that why I'm feeling this increased stress, this increased, increased emotionality? Is it because I'm out of alignment? I'm doing something that's not my, under my responsibilities? We talked about the law of responsibility. Evaluating everything I do as to whether it's this is my responsibility or is it somebody else's. And as our children grow, is this my responsibility or are they at the age right now they need to be responsible. You cannot stop acting out a dynamic until you understand what you are doing. We are to... As Matthew said, we are to take the log out of our own eye first before we try to correct anybody else. We need to make sure. I don't know if you've ever thought about this too. I, I do Not Not to take away from the scripture, but when something's in your eye, how, how big does it seem? <laughs> it's pretty big. It's like, get this thing out of my eye. It feels like there's a big splinter. You pull it out, it's this little eyelash. Why? Because it's, it's getting in the way of what I see out here. And I think we need to realize that whatever it is that's interfering, we need to make sure we deal with it here before it gets distorted out here. Often we, take, we are trying to make, meet some underlying need that was not met somewhere along the line, either in our family of origin or after we get out on our own. But it can be met in the family of God. I need to try to understand at whatever age I'm at, whatever stage I'm at, if I'm dealing with some stress and I'm dealing with some some conviction that something's not right, I need to take the time to stop and figure out what it is. I need to make sure that it's just not something that's part of my personality. Maybe it's my own sin nature. A lot of times it has been my own sin nature, as James 3 tells us. You know, where does war and conflict come from? It comes from within because I want what I want and when I don't get it, I'm angry. Then I pray and I pray with a selfish mode and it's not answered. You know, I need to really make sure that it's not me, my selfish ambition, that's causing the problem. Practice new boundary skills that you learn from God's word with your church family before taking a more taking on more deeply rooted problems with the family. Whenever I work with somebody who's trying to work through, whether it's a marriage issue, whether it's a family issue, the first thing they need to realize is you need to work through this yourself. You need to spend time talking to a mentor, somebody who's spiritually mature, that does, demonstrates what you want to do. And understand what it's going to take. Because to go in, the emotionality of tackling a problem with a parent or with a spouse when you're not ready, there's a greater chance you're going to get hurt again. And the wound is going to be worse. It's wise to practice your new boundaries, your skills, saying no to somebody. Or setting boundaries of when and what you're going to be involved with them. And allowing yourself to feel the uncomfortableness of the new behavior. It's more important that you take your time to learn the new behaviors than it is to rush in because you want to try to reconcile it. Avoid hurtful situations and those who have violated and abused your boundaries in the past. Don't go back to the ones who have called you hurtful things or treated you in a hurtful way anytime soon. You need to work through the pain, the aspects of forgiveness so that those Controlling powers aren't pulling at you. Emotionality and family of origin systems can be very hard to work through. But they are, as we said earlier, there is great reward if you take the time to do it. Be careful to not get sucked into c- controlling situations again be- because you have a desire for reconciliation. Because you have a strong desire for reconciliation. Reconciliation. If I'm honest with you, the first couple times I tried to work with Dad, it didn't go well. <laughs> because I was still letting him push me down. It didn't go well. But it was too soon. You know, when I went back to college, I was involved in leadership, and I was starting to realize that some of my own tone of voice triggers other stuff. I had to work through that. And it was some of it was just letting go of the hurt and the anger. And stop wanting to be the one who pronounces judgment or retaliates. I had to really work through that on a daily basis, saying, okay, Lord, I don't want to react to this. It's not godly. I don't want to react to it. We talked about that earlier in in the year, too. That's part of being spirit-controlled. is feeling in the moment, realizing that this is my flesh, this isn't of the Lord. Stopping yourself and then giving it to the Lord. nothing clarifies boundaries more than forgiveness there isn't anything that clarifies boundaries more than forgiveness you might say why well if I'm letting go of the right to judge somebody and the tug of war has stopped there's no more fight so the most important thing I can do is let go of the right which is usually selfish I want to pronounce judgment here Let go of the right to pronounce judgment. Give it to the Lord. Letting go of that takes a lot of the fight out of every situation. When you refuse to forgive someone, it keeps you tied to that individual forever. If you refuse to forgive someone, it keeps you tied to that individual through that anger forever. Until you're able to actually resolve it. Forgiveness ends the desire for repayment that is never forthcoming and only makes your heart sick. Forgiveness ends the desire for repayment that is never forthcoming anyway. And it only makes your heart sick because you keep trying. You keep trying to make things right. But if you're not forgiving, all the trying in the world is not going to change it you got to let go of it and realize that God's going to deal with this individual better than I ever could, better than you ever could. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A lot of truth in the Proverbs. Hope deferred. In other words, if it's in my fleshly desire that I'm doing this, I'm not going to get that hope fulfilled. I'm not going to have results because I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. But I let go of it and it's, and it's a reward between God. The greatest thing that ever happened between my dad and I with all the conflict we had was when he actually came to the point where he could start saying, I love you too. He never used those words. <laughs> you can ask all 12 children. No one ever heard that. It wasn't until later in life when he realized God was working in our lives that he let go of and stopped trying to change us. And I had let go of the right to want to say to him, See, isn't that what's behind it? Told you so! We want to get our point across, get angry. But what does it do? It just creates more wound if you do that. It just creates more wound. Another indication of boundary problems is when you react to something someone says or does and it causes strong feelings you are not sure what to do with. Another indication of boundary problems is when you react. What do I mean? Do you ever talk to somebody and all of a sudden it's just like, you're sitting there going, where did all that come from? They're reacting to a perceived threat. So all this emotion comes out. Fine! (laughs) Okay. Now, we don't have to do it that way if it's going to upset you. I'm not upset! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You say so. Healthy boundaries allow you to respond (coughs) while remaining in control, which allows you to evaluate your options and choices. We just talked about what a boundary problem looks like. I react, there's hurt, I walk away questioning why I did what I did, that person walks away questioning why you did what you did. There's a problem. Healthy boundaries are when you respond. Your response is not a sharp one, it's probably one of, let me think about it. Let me check with my spouse to make sure I can do this. Or maybe you know you can do it and you can do it under certain options and certain guidelines I could probably cover for you if this and this all falls into place rather than what we talked about, the reaction responding says I have choices I can choose to respond to you right now I can choose to delay it I can choose to say here's the conditions and boundaries that I have when I have a boundary problem we don't even think about any of that we just react So as you're looking at, do I have stuff I need to work on? The first place to start is those strong emotions. The difference between responding and reacting is choice. It's choice. Reacting gives others control of your boundaries. You know, if if I fly off the handle... And we've also heard people say, well, you made me mad. Well, I learned long ago in counseling, nobody makes you mad. You get mad yourself. What they said may have made you mad, but you need to look at why it made you mad and evaluate it and decide how you're going to handle it. But they didn't make you mad. Just like I can't make any of my kids eat, although I wanted to. (laughs) You can't make them. You can give them other choices, (laughs) Go to your room for about five hours. Something like that. But you can't make them eat. You can't make anybody do anything. They have to choose to do it. And nobody can make you do anything. If you feel you are reacting, step away from the situation and regain control so family members don't force you to do or say something you don't want to do or say. Break the cycle. That's a term that my wife and I used a long time ago. When we realized there were issues on both sides of our family that we didn't like on either side of the family, we started saying, we're going to break the cycle. That's how people in your family have always handled this. This is how my family's is. My family, I know that they're not the most loving people. They don't mean to come across cold and hard, but they do. And my wife had a hard time getting used to that. And I said, I don't think they don't like you. I just don't think they know how to be... Loving the way that you are, and you're like a thousand watt light bulb in a closet. You've got to bring it down a little bit. My sister told her that one time. She's like, What? She said, You come in. Hi. And we're all like, Sometimes I need to make adjustments. Sometimes they need to make adjustments. We need to break the cycle that's been going on in our family of origins passed down from Adam and Eve. Seek counsel from a mature believer whom you respect and observe having the boundaries you desire. Wise wisdom. The scriptures tell us old men, teach your young men. Old women, teach your young women. You'll find that a number of different times throughout the New Testament. It's important that the older spiritual women and, and men take the time to mentor the younger ones, to not only demonstrate it in action, but to also demonstrate it with that individual as they learn it. The person who has to, has to remain in a protective mode is losing out on love and freedom. You say, why do I want to work on these boundary problems? Why do I want to start addressing them, whether it's with your family, with your kids, whether it's with work? Why do I want to do that? My point to you is, think about the energy you're expending in that protective mode. I've not let anybody in your business, when it could be spent loving and reaching out think about the energy that's being spent and lastly doing good for someone when you freely choose to do it is boundary enhancing the best thing you can do is practice healthy boundaries healthy activities get involved in service but do it because you want to not because George or I have coerced you <laughs> Do it because you truly want to, okay? If you want to um, read ahead, we're going to be dealing with, in the next lesson, I believe it's boundaries and your spouse, I think. That'll be a bad one, won't it? (laughs) Joy wants to be in here to keep me in line. (laughs) All right.